Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 301 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie loving podcast of the matinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. People, we are hip deep in Oscar season. The nominees have been announced, the campaigns are well underway, the outcry is good and loud, as is the outcry against the outcry. It's the annual rite of passage, and one that we like to pick apart here on the Matinee Cast because that's just how we roll. Of course, I need a co-pilot on this little voyage into the class of 2022, and only one co-pilot will do. She is so ferociously well-versed on all manner of film literacy, including, but not exclusive, to classic film, women's storytellers, and of course, all things Oscar. From RogerEbert.com and Emmy Magazine, she has spoken to us from San Francisco, Los Angeles, Atlanta, and is now coming to us from Chicago. The one, the only, Mariah E. Gates is here. How are you, Mariah? I'm good. I'm good. I am very excited about talking about this group of movies. So super quick, I want to thank everyone who gave me feedback on episode 300. It was something that took a lot of work and was a real departure for this show. Um, thank you uh, for your support. Everyone um, really, really meant a lot to me. You might have already noticed um, some different sounds in the background of this show. The music for this episode celebrates the nominees for best original score. So you'll hear tracks from Babylon, Banshees of Inishirin, Fablemans, and others. We are going to go through the nominees in the big eight categories, writing, acting, directing, and picture because to mariah and i the films that are nominated are more important than the films that win winning is a very complicated and intricate thing but the nominations paint a picture and that is a very interesting picture um and we will take breaks along the way please use them we will start with writing in best adapted screenplay we have all quiet on the western front written by edward berger leslie patterson and ian stokel there's glass onion and knives out mystery by ryan johnson living by kazoo Ishiguru, uh, Top Gun Maverick by um, Ian Kruger, Eric Warren Singer and Christopher McQuarrie, and Women Talking by Sarah Pauly. All Quiet on the Western Front is an interesting inclusion because here we have, for the second year in a row, a remake of a Best Picture getting all kinds of Oscar flowers. There's been not that well thought out arguments for why this is a bad adaptation. And I read one in particular yesterday that really drove me up the wall because I think some people want this to be a direct adaptation of how the original writer was feeling about war in 1928. It's been a hundred years since then. And we are, we have still continually been at war in this world yeah. for a hundred years. So mm-hmm. um, the, the one I read yesterday is particularly thought that the, the themes of ending the film with a, a possibility of hope of war's ending that this movie should have that and it shouldn't be as fatalistic as it is and honestly i think that's the stupidest thing i may have read about anything oscar related (laughs) all year this is like the one that everyone paints as like the greatest anti-war this is the the pinnacle to end it in 2022 on a place of well maybe wars will end is like no I liked that he ended it in a place where it's clear he understands that many places in this world are still at war. Many boys are still being killed, girls, children, you know, people are still being taught um, to think about their country above all else, too. I I liked that part of the adaptation, too, where um, they sort of changed a little bit about the the farm that's nearby, the the army. Yeah. And they turned that into – 
this the kid, this little kid at the farm, he's being taught to hate all Germans, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that's a really smart choice to show how it's passed down to kids because what do we see in the United States right now? Yeah, like why does yeah. why do why are we not changing thoughts of you know we're sixty years out from a lot of the great fifty years out from a lot of the great um, social movements in the sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. and yet we still have the same things happening. Why? Because it's passed down to kids. I think it's a really smart adaptation. I it guess is. is what I'm- I think what I what I really enjoy about it is if you are you know if you are going to remake a classic, and I'm not against remaking classics. I'm like sure, shoot your shot. If you want to try it, try it, but. You, you have the challenge in front of you that the first one was so well received in its time. It's like, what are you going to bring to it now? So adapt. Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, um, Ryan Johnson. Glass Onion. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I love that he just keeps trotting these out. I, I would love if every two or three years we got a new. Oh, I think he is. Like, that's his plan. Um, and, and I love that great. He did, I, I also enjoy that he didn't just do the same thing. Like, I mean, he did do the same thing again, but he didn't just do another straight direct lift. Like he found a way to serialize his story without completely cookie cuttering the story. I don't know. Yeah. Although he did completely out. steal the entire like format of this movie from the last of Sheila, like down to the, Photo, photo details and like all <laughs> kinds of stuff. He, it's a, it really should be an adapted screenplay of the, the characters of, of Knives Out and The Last of Sheila, to be honest. But um, I liked this more than the first one, to be honest. Mm, so okay. I'm glad they got nominated. Yeah. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I enjoy them both. I um, laughed more. I, I just I enjoy Ryan Johnson's writing. Um, you know, like yeah, he, he's he's so he's so well versed. He finds a way to be clever without trying to be snide about it. Living by Kazu Ishiguru. Uh, you know, I'm here for this uh, as a fan of his books. Um, another ballsy um, screenplay in adapting Ikiru. I know you're not completely sold on this movie. Yeah, I thought it was okay. I think Bill Nye is amazing, mm-hmm. but he's always good. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that was one of those, like, if you're going to do it, Bill Nye's the right person. Yeah. So, I'm glad. But I think, I don't know that the whole movie quite works but i'm i'm always happy to see ishiguru's name yeah out in the world yeah, so that, that's, maybe it'll get people to read more, more ishiguru. yeah please do if, if if you take anything away from this movie and from this podcast it's your life is a lot better if you read more yeah ishiguru. Read. um all and read all of them not just the ones that got adapted into movies yeah no no good. please keep going yeah top gun maverick is here and this is where paramount's campaigning it, you like this is where you can see it's like okay you guys really did your work if you could get a screenplay nomination for this thing let me be clear yeah. about this movie so i grew up the biggest fan of top gun like capital mm-hmm. t capital b capital f fan of top gun loved it loved it loved it then i turned 20 and i realized what kind of idiot i was <laughs> uh went to see this movie because sure and it is so very much the first movie again with this little wee kernel of um, legacy dropped in. Like little, very wee yeah. kernel of legacy. I'm happy it made money. I'm happy that it got people out to the theater. And apparently, according to everybody, saved theater going. So. Uh, sure. I'm, I'm certain wow. it did. Uh, okay. To, to go to screenplay, I mean, again, this is Paramount. This is Paramount running a incredible campaign and maybe it's a weak-ish year for adapted screenplay i haven't looked too i don't hard at i don't think missing. it's a weak year i think, think this is really money this is no this is literally just money talks oh okay 
on one side, yes, they made a new story and they found something interesting. But on the other side, none of the characters are interesting. No. None of the women are well-written. No. None of the dialogue's all that good. No. Like, the only thing, and I mean the only thing I could say is interesting about the screenplay is the way it uses Val Kilmer. Yeah. Only, and, and like... Sorry, and that that one piece of that one piece of plot is not enough to push the needle. That's probably why one of the reasons people really liked it. We'll be talking more about Maverick a little bit later on, but the, I, I call shenanigans on screenplay. Then, <laughs> of course, we finish with Women Talking, um, adapted by Sarah Pauly from the novel by Miriam Taves. Um, I, I know that you uh, love the holy heck out of this movie, and rightly so. It's one of the few Sarah Polly, if not the only Sarah Polly movie I actually liked. So that's oh. saying a lot. I'm sorry, Canada. She was interesting to interview. I interviewed her about um, the adaptation process. And I did I did think her adaptation process was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad she got this nomination. Yeah, it's um, it, it's a wonderful adaptation. I'm, I'm totally on board with this movie. I, I was actually surprised that there weren't a few more nominations for it. Getting her her, I think that's her second nomination now. Um, yeah, she, I think she's nominated for uh, Away, away from, from Her. her. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And I mean, even just having her back like she was she was gone from directing and writing for quite some time so to ha- just to have her back on the scene and to have her come back so strong um is a is a wonderful thing so um well done women talking uh in original screenplay the um the field is a little more crowded um we have the banshees of inishir by martin mcdonough everything everywhere all at once by the daniels the fablemans by steven spielberg and tony kushner tar by todd field and triangle of sadness by ruben Oostland, Banshees, Martin McDonough is pretty much making a cottage industry out of getting his screenplays nominated these days. Only like this and in Bruges. I did not see Three Will Words, so put that on okay. as you will. I okay. just, it felt like I was not going to like it. Great interview between uh, Martin McDonough and Taylor Swift. They spoke about being directors. I don't I that. take that as you will. Yeah, no, it's I, pretty good. Yeah. It was a pretty good conversation. I think because Taylor really, uh, she's either a really great actress or she really wanted to know about his his um, creative process, mm-hmm. which I believe she probably does like to understand people's creative processes. She seems that. like that kind of person. Yeah. But um, one of the things he talked about is this came out of a breakup. Because huh. um, I think it was before he he's with um, Fleabag. I forget her name. Phoebe Waller Bridge. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think he must have written this. After the breakup of whoever he was with before, before her, okay. Um, and I wonder if that's part of why the the women are better is like either you know Phoebe helped or I, who knows. But be. the woman character is so much better. She feels like an actual person. Yeah, yeah. Like that's a step up. But I, this was probably the movie that made me laugh the most <laughs> all year. Yeah. I didn't tell you a lot about my kind of humor because this is exactly <laughs> my kind of humor. It was like, and then obviously I love Colin Farrell. So we'll, we'll get to that. We will. Pin, yes. pin in that thought. It's a film where like all of its plot threads um, have a lot of weight to them. Like, you know, like just even just everything from um, Dominic and his, you know, quiet pining for, um, yeah, for, for, for Siobhan, you know, like like these kind, like these. Or, things, he's like, there goes that dream. <laughs> I mean, even just like his role in, um, you know, like his his him being like an abused kid, uh, you know, in in, in any other movie that may not even be a thread, or it may be a thread that's 
um, played for for shock value, but I'm like, no, this yeah. really pay off. Uh, we will be talking a lot about everything, everywhere, all at once by the Daniels. Um, you know, the screenplay of this. Uh, th- this is a high wire act. So the fact that it it's its screenplay is here is no shock. At this all. was um, the other movie that I was at the world premiere oh, wow. of in, at South by. Right? It was at South by, yeah. Um, and uh, Michelle Yeoh was there, and it was like being at a rock show because she came out, and everyone just like lost lost it, <laughs> you know, because that, that was like South by is the exact audience for someone like Michelle Yeoh, whose career has been so broad. Mm-hmm. Um, but like South by audience is the people who are going to know her from the kung fu films. They're going to yeah. know her from. Um, Star Trek, and they're going to know her from. She probably has fans. She probably has fans in that crowd from Tomorrow Never Dies. You know, yeah, Tomorrow Never Dies, <laughs> or um, even Crazy Rich Asians. Like, oh, yeah. I'm sure that crowd was a mix of every every kind of fan. Yeah. It was a great festival. It was originally supposed to be a Sundance festival, and then when the Sundance got um, uh, went online only last year, it moved to South by. And oh, honestly, wow. I think South by was a better launching pad for it. Anyways, huh. it manages to be like eight different kinds of films because of the oh, multiverse. I mean, yeah. Like while, people, while, while tying it all together perfectly, like the speaking of like emotional arcs, like yeah. even though it shifts her character shifts from this to this, to this, to the other, the emotional arc of her character is there throughout all the different mm-hmm. types of films that she goes through. Yeah. Um, and part of me wonders like, uh, and I haven't read it a lot, so I don't know, maybe they talked about this, but did they like write out her arc as if she'd stayed in the tax universe, as if she stayed in the Wong Kar Wai universe and then pulled things out? Or if they, did they always have the arc first and then decide which universe? Like, that's a good question. That's, that's one, that's one that I would love to know to be entirely honest. Yeah. I, I would love to know, like, how do you construct, how do you construct this for everybody? Like, because you need to construct this for her specifically for her, for Waymond and for um, joy and make them all mm-hmm. pay off. Right. And in, in, in this multiversal, but still singular universe kind of way. And that's that's not an easy trick. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just like overall, I'm just so happy that Oscar remembered this movie. Like when it was released in April, I, I, I kind of had the feeling into May and June. I was like, I don't think I'm going to see a better movie than that all year. Like that is such no. a high bar. But I thought to myself, I really hope that when we get to award season and we get to this push of all these prestige pictures that this thing doesn't get left behind it's a high wire act and they stay on the high wire the whole time it's it's incredible um it's it's what the category should be every year most original screenplay for sure yes uh steven spielberg is back with tony kushner the fablemans um his therapy sessions where you know he finally talked about his upbringing i i think what's and the pet monkey and the pet monkey (laughs) what I, I think what's inc- what, what's wonderful about this is several of the stories within this story are things that we have heard over time. You know, like we've heard how his dad was the scientist and his mom was the piano mm-hmm. player, and he lost his shit when he went to see the greatest show on earth. Um, and they moved around, and he made his movies. It's like if you if you've watched him do uh, an actor's oh, it is it is snowing. <laughs> I just want everyone to know it just started snowing. Welcome to or February in Chicago. Or... Yeah. Um, <laughs> wait, till you, wait till it happens in April. His films don't always get screenplays, so I'm actually kind of happy Mm-mm. to see to see the nomination here. You know, for for his work with Kushner and um, how they how they brought that all together. Yeah, and like I said, a lot of the films this year are fables, and mm-hmm. this one even has it literally in the title, "The Fablemans," yeah. right? Um, and anyone who wanted it to be more 
you know, realistic or seek realism is linked. Did you read the title? It's, yeah. it's literally a fable retelling of his childhood. So it's, it's as warts and all as you're going to get in a fable. Right. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that he took this sort of important kernel of how he became who he was as an artist and turn it into lit- a literal, like, a fable. Mm-hmm. First thought I had when it was over was that the line at the end of um, the man who shot Liberty Valance, you know, print the, the legend. legend. Yeah, that's what he did. He yeah. printed the legend about himself. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. If you're a filmmaker and you're like the one filmmaker everyone knows your name, you should be able to do whatever you want with your story. Tar by Todd Field. Uh, I was. Th- this is an interesting inclusion as well. I mean, again, welcome back, Todd Field. Uh, you've been gone a minute. Um, Todd Field gets nominated every time he makes a movie. I mean, this this screenplay is something because I mean, this this is. I don't know if I don't know if it's the best screenplay, but it's certainly the most screenplay. This is a talky, talky, talky movie. I didn't like this movie at all. No shit. Okay, so I'm on the I'm on the um, yeah I'm on the like very small percentage of people who thought that there was nothing special about this movie. I felt like I felt like both the next two movies actually that we're talking about both both felt like sad. Well, they both yes. It, like so that was one of the latter ones that i watched like that was one of the ones i i caught up with after the nominations were announced i had a lot of homework to do triangle of sadness was one of the ones i caught up with after the nominations were announced i know ruben Ustland from um you know uh, um force majeure uh i didn't even see the square uh square's pretty good uh, but like good. this is one where Neon is getting really good at this game. This is one where I can really see the muscle that Neon put behind um, the campaign. Because I watched this, yeah. I watched this one. I'm like, yeah, okay, uh, I, I get what you're going for. I don't know if I'm really enjoying this or if it's anything special. Yeah, I felt I felt very similar things about both films. Mm-hmm. In that, I think they're both attempting to explore a certain class of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think they both fail. I don't think either of them have anything interesting to say, mm. partly because I think they're both coming from people who are from that class. Well, there's that, you know, for So for sure. like I, I, Ruben in particular cannot critique rich people. <laughs> uh, he can show it, right. but I don't think he's critiquing them at all. I don't think he's saying anything interesting. I feel like he should needs to pick up at least one sociology book next time. I was going to say, I mean, but, he keeps, he keeps but, trying. Yeah, and it never, it never. I think that Square is the is the closest he comes to succeeding because it it actually does show just how how stupid a lot of um, the art world is in a really fun way. Gotcha. Um, but I also don't think he like I won a Pondor, but I don't think he was like trying to make like a great movie. It's just people have been saying he's making great movies. Whereas Todd Field, my problem with Tar, the, the character Lydia should be an antihero, mm-hmm. and in the discussions of her, both from Blanchett and people writing about it, I think that's been lost a lot. Are they not calling her anti-hero? I I don't think. No, no, they are, but they're talking about it. No, but they're talking about her in a way that it's like people, people love this character. And I think if this was a real person, you wouldn't love them. You would, you would see them as this horrible 
person and everyone's like oh but she's such a great artist that now she gets to start all over again and find a way to be in her passion it's like do does she should she get to start all over again yeah, really. and i don't know that the movie i think the movie lets her start all over again and i don't think it does it in a way that's like see horrible people they always get another chance when they're at this level i don't think it says that and i don't think the discussion has been saying that no. and i don't i, 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 I think have, I, yeah i wouldn't have guessed that like i'm i'm, I'm looking it, like here's a person who used to conduct the Berlin Philharmonic and she's conducting some strange little you know it also uses it also uses Southeast Asia in a way that I thought was completely disgusting because it's point it's saying that the Western Germ or Western Europe is the height of sophistication and Southwest or Southeast Asia is Which like is not fair at all. the pit yeah. and that's not fair at all but also she does get to restart so it's not a, but it, I don't think it's done in a way that shows it as a, a fall from grace as as much as it should a I don't think people are discussing it that way B I don't think that people are discussing her as um the way that it portrays mm -hmm. um, predatory lesbians right, very right. well. Um, I don't think that they're discussing how, well, like, I don't understand why you would want to discuss the predatory people in the arts and use a lesbian when there's so few of them anyways, when 90% of the people who are like this are men, yeah. like what, what, A, B, C, D, maybe, I don't know where I'm at. <laughs> Like, I don't think he's ever talked to anybody who would be like Naomi Merlant's character. I don't yeah. think he's ever talked to anyone who's been an assistant for 10 years. I don't think he's ever talked to any really actual students. Yeah. It doesn't feel, it feels like he knows that there's going to, that someone like Lydia would have an assistant. And he knows that someone like Lydia at her, when she was getting her PhD, would have research assistants. And he knows that she'd be teaching kids. But I don't think he's talked to any of those people at that level. And so I think to that the whole other side part of the experience, of the film, yeah, 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 isn't there. Huh. And, well, that's a good and, point. That's part of my problem with this with this film. Is he's too he's too in it with who is Lydia from Lydia's perspective. That it, I don't know that you can. And maybe that, maybe that was the point. It's supposed to be all in her head, and that's why everything is not fleshed out. But then why do I want to be in her perspective for three hours? Yeah. So it's like whether this is a conscious choice or not. I it wasn't. I got you. That's cool. It's a way yeah, to boil that's that a very now. good point. Um, we are going to take a very quick break here before we get into the actors. Uh, we're going to be right back after this. We are back. We're going to get into the actors and start with Best Supporting Actress. Acting has a lot of first-time nominees this year. This is not one of them, but I'm happy to be saying her name. Angela Bassett for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Hong Chow for The Whale. Carrie Condon in The Banshees of Inisherin, Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And Stephanie Sue for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Angela Bassett. It was, I mean, she's yeah. she's incredible. She's a, she's a force. Um, I'm I'm glad to see her back here. I feel like she's got overlooked for far too long. Would this be my choice for her second Oscar nomination? No. no. <laughs> but would it be my choice for her Oscar win? Likely win? No. But can I fault? Her winning? No. She already should have been an Oscar winner, Angela Bassett. This is very true. And I mean, what I what I think is interesting about this is like she walks into the job and it's like, okay, so this is this is the world we've created and this is what we've got on the page for you. And she looks at it, she goes, Yeah, I'm gonna do what I do. You know, like whether or not it suits the quality of this movie or the quality of this world, she is, uh, you know, as I said, she's a force, she's a pro. Well, and I she's think, gonna um, she's gonna find a way to like give it 
more than what was actually on the page. Um, yeah, and I think Ryan Coogler is a great actor's director. Oh, yeah. I think he gets great performances, and that's why his movies, his Marvel films are better mm-hmm. than most of the Marvel films because he actually knows how to guide these performers to great performances within the um, scope of, of, of a comic book world. Hong Chao in The Whale. Um, not a huge fan of that movie. but No, I did not much, like that movie at all. Yeah, very <laughs> much a fan of her in it. She's good in it. She's good. At, I've never seen her give a bad performance. So this this feels like overdue for someone who's always solid. Um, I've only ever seen her in the Hope it means that she'll get more. More stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and this is why, you know, going back to the beginning of the, the show, when we talked about how we were always more interested by the nominations than we are by the wins, is along with the nominations being, you know, painting a picture of the year, it can it can change careers, you know, like yeah. the case in point that I always like to come back to is Jennifer Lawrence, who started out as just doing these kind of like job type movies, um, you know, these little like thrillers and, you know, she's in, she was in the beaver of all movies, but yeah. then she gets nominated for winter's bone. And all of a sudden she's like catapulted into the A-list. She's heading up franchises and it, it changed, you know, it changed her, her career, her life. Um, and you know, that's the thing. And, and this is quite a year for that. It's there's four returning nominees and 16 first yeah. time. Yeah. It's, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm like, that's something we'll come back to, but yeah, Hong Chao, I've only seen her in this and, um, the menu. She's really great in driveways. Oh, driveways. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, somebody told me about that one. I have, I, I got to catch up with that one. Yeah. It's a great okay. film, but yeah. Um, not, not, you know, like the character of Liz in the whale is another one that is complicated and she just nails it so i was happy to see mm-hmm. this uh carrie condon in banshees of inishirin um one of the best parts in a movie that has so many best parts she's the one solid thing in this whole movie everyone's flailing around her mm-hmm. i like that she um is able to show her empathy for all these people but also the fact that her desire for something more for herself mm-hmm. is is her driving force and so she has she makes that hard decision that she does and and you'd never feel like she's abandoning people no like you're glad she does it and i think that a lot of that lies on her performance collaboration with the rest of the cast you feel for her and you feel glad for her and maybe the only person who might be able to get off this island and do something yeah really um it's it's a magnificent performance and i i really hope that it leads to more things for carrie condon she's i mean she's been going at this for so long she's got such a long filmography i'm i'm i'm, I'm happy if this kind of gets her some some more uh prominent uh stuff here on north america i'm like she's been she's been at it in england and ireland for so long it's it's weird to be yeah like, this is your breakout you know it's really kind of a narrow <laughs> narrow point of view speaking of somebody who's been at it for so long hello jamie lee curtis everything everywhere all at once this is another role kind of like angela bassett where it's like we're gonna put this on the page and what you do with it is up to you um and they just had the trust in jamie lee curtis to let her go with it and she's yeah. fantastic it's it reminds me of um uh because people often think of her as like the scream queen performances and stuff but i always loved her in um a fish called wanda yeah she's so funny in that and i feel like she got to tap into that same kind of of comedy chops that she doesn't always get to show and she remind everyone that she's actually very funny 
She can do so much. She can do like she's she's so funny. Like I like there's so many movies where I think of how funny she is. As a millennial girl, I have to shout out Freaky Friday. She's so funny in Freaky Friday. <laughs> yeah, no, Jamie Lee Curtis, she just over her career, she's done so, so very much. It's it's kind of nutters that this is her first nomination. Um, but I'm glad she has it. That means that like she joins both her parents in terms of Oscar nominations, right? Yeah. yeah so well done. Good job there, Nepo baby. Um, and finally, um, Stephanie Sue for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Another um, incredible performance that just in, in a movie with so much going on. Um, one of those really, really heartfelt um, roles that Stephanie Sue just does so much with. She's so heartbreaking in this movie and yet also just so funny and I think what I love about this movie so much is every actor is giving at least five performances. Yeah. yeah. And they all nail it. And you can't, like, you have this crazy script that asks a lot. She, you know, had a few things. And this is a big role. She's the the emotional beat mm-hmm. by the end um, because she's both the villain and not a villain. Yeah. Once you get to the end and you realize why she's doing all these things she's doing. And hopefully people have seen this movie by now. I'm just like spoiling everything. Um <laughs> But you have to have somebody who can do all of that, who can who can be an asshole, who can be uh, a broken heart, who can be. Um, they have to be able to play the priestess really like, and play the yeah. you know quasi closeted queer teen. Yeah, and she and she she really hits all those beats, and then and then that final scene with her and Michelle Yeoh, it's like if you're not crying, like did you watch this movie? Yeah. <laughs> like do you have a heart? Yeah, no, she's incredible. Um, I'm I'm really really happy to see her. Um, get her flowers here. I really hope it leads to incredible things for her career. Um, and she, yeah, she's wonderful. Everybody's wonderful in this movie. Uh, we're going to be saying that a lot. So drink um, over with the boys, best supporting actor. We have Brendan Gleeson in the Banshees of Inishirin, Brian Tyree Henry in Causeway, Judd Hirsch in the Fablemans, Barry Keoghan in the Banshees of Inishirin and K week one for everything, everywhere, all at once. Brendan Gleeson. This isn't his first. Is this it? is, it is, and wow. it's crazy that he wasn't nominated for like In Bruges or literally anything All else. Sorts of things. It's, it is, yeah. He's a guy who shows this up is, in your movie for ten minutes and automatically and he nails it. it. Part of Martin McDonough, he's like writing this because all three of them, Brendan, Colin Farrell, and Carrie, had been in uh, other films and other plays that he'd done. I feel like he was sitting down. And he's like, I'm writing them all their Oscars finally. Yeah, <laughs> like that's what it felt like. He's like because he knows post post um. Three billboards. He knows that if he does, if he gets it just right, his actors are in. Yeah, because he's, he's established as a, as a director who can get Oscars mm-hmm. for. He got two Oscars from the for his performers from the previous one, right? Not really. So, I feel like he wrote this. He wrote it. He said he's written it for all of them in, in mind, right? And I think he specifically that was that had to have been a goal. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so happy I can say Oscar nominee Brian Tyree Henry. Um, yeah, this is. I was at the I was at the world premiere of this movie as well. I had a terrible seat. Oh no, um, absolute terrible seat. But uh, he's so good in this, and he's another person who uh, every time he shows up, like uh, like that scene, the, his one scene in Beale Street is yeah. How he how he didn't get a nomination for that? Is no idea. Nuts, but. Um, we could Everything we could wonder about it. how a lot of things about Beale Street didn't get nominated, but yes, uh, yes, yes. But that, that's that's one, that's Everything one in a lot. Everything is made better by him being in it, absolutely. And so I'm glad this this happened for him because he sh- he should have been. Yeah, and this is a, one of those 
unless it's like a giant um, upset, this is the the nomination. Is is it? It is for him, and he's he's coasting. I don't know if you looked at the class picture photo. Oh, that he's, went out he's got like every, a million watt smile on his face. He's so yeah, happy. Like the there. biggest. Smile. He has purple suit on. Yeah. He's like ah, I'm here. It's yeah. <laughs> like yes. And what's what's wonderful about this um, at the premiere? The direct writer director she talked about how she'd been. Uh, friends with him since college. I think she was undergrad. He was grad school at Yale. Mm -hmm. She'd always wanted to work with him, but never did. And so when she finally was getting this underway, she called him and she's like, I got, I got it. I got your, I got a role for you. And he's like, cool, we'll do it. Like 20 years later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. It's like, I, he's probably like, I'm glad I took that call. <laughs> I mean, what I, know? what I like about this too, is this is one of those examples where it's like, it's not an amazing movie, but this one piece of it is fantastic. So like let's yeah. you know like let's get away from this one film is just incredible and let's nominate everything out of it. It's like No, it's sometimes for, it's, yeah, like let, let's, this one thing is one performance is standout yeah, that it should still get nominated. Yeah, there's there's the opposite of that later and we'll talk about that. Um yeah. Judd Hirsch, is this the shortest performance nominated for No, uh, no, Beecher still, Street. I think Beecher Strait still wins. Okay, okay. She had like it's up there. Four minutes. It's, it's got to be up there. It's up there, and he's he's a returning nominee. He is. I think I think we did the math um, that between nominations, this is the longest. Oh wow! It was about forty years oh, exactly. Or That's incredible. Thirty nine years exactly. And we were trying to find another one that like without any nominations in the middle because there's longer between first and last nomination, yeah, yeah, yeah. but between. Between first and second nomination, I believe now he has the, the record. record for longest. Yeah, his his scene in the Fablemans is wonderful. Um, he nails it uh, and 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 just you know elevates it. I mean, what is on the page is still lovely, but he brings it this extra warmth as only he can do. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm you know it's <laughs> this is one where it's like okay, this was some real again some really good campaigning, but I'll allow it. Um, Barry Keoghan, he's, he's a guy who everything he shows up in, he's fantastic. You're like, not this guy. He's, 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 he's fecked up. Yeah. There we go. I said yeah, there, it. there we go. Um, <laughs> he's, he's like the number one fecked up actor. He is, but I mean, currently he, he always, he like, he, he always manages to take his roles and make them just so interesting, including like, I mean, this should be, this should be a minor part of the story. But he just brings it so much pathos. It's it's an incredible performance. He brings a, a depth to this role. Like this could have been a quirky, you know, it's like the quirky outcast. Mm -hmm. He does the unexpected line readings. That's part of why I think he's such an, an interesting actor in every movie he's in. Same with Brian Tyree Henry. Both of them are similar in that they will read a line in such a way that you would not, you don't expect it. It comes out in a way, um, the cadence. Yeah. Of, of it is different than you would expect. And because of that cadence, they bring a, an extra emotion mm -hmm. to lines that maybe even the writer didn't expect. And I, I find them both very fascinating actors in that way because not, not everybody uses cadence to add depth to a performance. Um, and I think because they both have some, some theater background, that's something that you learn to do in theater because if you're doing a role over and over again, you're always trying to find something new each time you do the performance. And that's why cadence becomes one of your tools. And you don't often see that. No, I, I love the man. I really do. But Barry Keoghan has one expression. 
you know, like just, <laughs> which is which yeah. is the Barry Keoghan face, which is just so fascinating to look at because yeah. he's like he's he's handsome, but he's not classically handsome, and mm-hmm. he's kind of strange looking. It's almost like he's wearing one of those actors' masks, like one of those like yeah. media masks on, but it's it's just his face. So yeah, how he like you say, like how he gives you those varying deliveries, um, whether it's being a, a dummy or whether it's being like cold and calculating in some of his other movies or, or just, you know, like really, really introspective. He just does so much with the rest of him, his person that you forget. He's always just kind of looking the same. Brian Tyree Henry is like yeah. the opposite. Brian Tyree Henry has a million expressions. He has a million yeah. expressions. But, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Cohen, I'm like, I'm, I'm here for it. Anytime he's in a movie, it makes it so much better, including both of their parts in a recent Marvel movie, which I know I love more than you. Then we have Kiwi Kwan. Yes. Uh, so good. Um, I, you know, like everybody so has good. said all of the things, including Kiwi Kwan himself. Um, I'm happy that he's back. Uh, I'm, I'm happy that, that, you know, A24 was able to get this thing over the goal line and get him an Oscar nomination because... Uh, you know, I don't know what he was doing two years ago, but it certainly wasn't. He was mostly, thinking about well. One, he was in. He was in uh, two years ago. He actually made his his return to cinema in a uh, family oriented um, Netflix movie. Oh. But prior to that, he was working on one car Y sets. Yeah, which is fascinating. Yeah. Um. He, he. I hope he wins. I really do. I love him in this movie so much, and he has the the line delivery of the year as far as I'm concerned, which is the, in a, in another life, I would have been happy just to do taxes and laundry with you. It's like, like that's, that's the most like um, distillation of pure love. I think I've seen in a movie in a long time, just that line, his delivery of it. Like he, he nails it. And you, if you aren't sitting there thinking like, damn, I wish I felt like that about anybody (laughs) or, or maybe you do feel like that about somebody. Um, Again, it's it's a perfect distillation of the, the script meeting the right actor, meeting the perfect direction, all right there. That's it. That's the movie. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I – like the one thing that I'm going to include in the show notes, it's a little bit long, so it's ironic that I'm including it in what's already going to be a long episode, is um, Jonathan McIntosh does a really great uh, YouTube series called Pop Culture Detective. And he did mm-hmm. a fascinating piece about Waymond and what makes Waymond work um, in in terms of what's on the page and how Kei Kwan embodies that and how it challenges a lot of um, preconceptions uh, of of you know so called beta males and especially you mm-hmm. know like Asian uh, Asian and Asian American males. Um, it's a really fascinating watch. I highly recommend it. Uh, you know, I hope this thing gets over the goal line. I don't want to hex it. Um, so, yeah. You know, um, great work, uh, Kiwi. Um, actress, best actress we have Kate Planchett uh, for Tar, Anna de Armas for Blonde, Andrea Riseborough for Two Leslie, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, and Michelle Yeoh for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Michelle Yeoh in that movie. Um, I mean, I she might be asked to do the most of anybody. She she is. And again, what's what's so great, they wrote it for her. They knew her work. They knew she was capable of every single thing in here, the comedy, the drama. The martial arts and what I think why I think 
this should be her year is one, first of all, two, 20 years ago, she should have been nominated for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and the racist, and I'm saying it, racist body of the Academy at the time ignored all the performances in that movie. Yeah. And they, anyone who didn't nominate her should feel ashamed. Yeah. If they're listening, they're probably not. But if they are, they should feel ashamed. Because I don't know how you watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and not see one of the best performances of that year. Yeah. If you saw the movie as one of the best movies, of five best movies of the year, and you're not nominating Michelle Yeoh, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. Okay. But two, she is such a physical actress. She is able to do that, that the physical, beautiful physical uh, work of martial arts on top of the, the, the intricate depth of emotion in the drama and romance portions, but she's also capable of doing hilarious comedic work. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite Michelle Yeoh performances is in this stupid Christmas movie that I watch every year called Last Christmas. Um, it's a new tradition. I've watched it every Christmas for the last four years. With, um, with um, Dragons? Yeah, what yeah. Amelia Clark? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, sure. Right. Robert hates this movie. He won't watch it with me anymore, but I watch it every year, and she's so funny. Henry Golding, she's right? so funny. Am I in remembering it. this wrong? Yes. It's, it's a movie, crazy It's a reunion. <laughs> yeah, it's a terrible movie, but I watch it every year. She's great in you know, it. We've, we've and known each other for 13 years now. Mariah, I really love you. <laughs> I, I just needed, you know I needed to put that out there. I, I appreciate that. I, I It's a great movie. Not, I mean, it's a great rewatchable movie. Not, I haven't it's seen probably it. A I can't knock it, but I just, I love that you love it. I really do. <laughs> I watch it. I watch it every That's year. She's great in it. And the thing, the thing about this particular role is she's able to tap into every single thing that she does. And honestly, I think Michelle Yeoh could probably do every single other performance in here. Michelle Yeoh could absolutely have been Lydia Tarr if she wanted to. Oh, yeah. oh. But I don't think that Kate Planchette could do everything that's asked of Michelle Yeoh and everything everywhere all at once. And I think that needs to be considered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, because I think martial arts is not is not always considered part of the performing art. Right. But it is. What you make me think of is if, my, if she was my, if she was dancing. We would we would be like all over ourselves, you know. What yes, I mean? like if she was dancing, exactly. or she was singing, but because it's this thing that we don't, you know, as Westerners necessarily appreciate as an art form, it's like, come on, like wake up! This is this is something incredible. This and is she it. Can you know spin all these plates at once and nothing falls? Um, yeah, I I, I yeah. would love to. I'd love to see her. Yeah, the dancer analogy is really that's, smart. That's, that's exactly you know, like seriously like the same. You, you you raise the point that it, it's it's something so specific that combines you know discipline and movement and you know that you know we were talking about how Barry Keoghan he performs with his body because his face doesn't do anything. That's what she's doing. She's performing with her body yeah. in terms of a feet and in terms of you know just that that's her instrument. That's her brush, right? Yeah. So we, we need to start recognizing that more and more that, you know, here's something that is very complicated to do. And the fact that she can do that while she's doing something else, the same as we, you know, laud Broadway performers for being a triple threat that can sing, dance and act. We need yeah. to, you know, laud, you know, like we, we lose our shit when Tom Cruise jumps off a building. Okay, neat. But, you know, there was something down below him to make sure that he didn't die yeah you know so like yeah let, let's talk to, let's talk about somebody who can like really do themselves or somebody else some damage and does not um because yeah they're so good at it michelle williams um i felt did a great performance in this movie she's a, such a talented actor um, i'm happy to see her name coming up more and more as we she's go like a, she's up there with glenn close now right or she, amy adams i think already 
nominations. I feel like this is her fifth or sixth. Wow, that was fast. Right? Yeah. Or maybe I'm just- we have five. This is her fifth, so she's just behind Amy Adams, okay, I think, fair. in like, terms I'm, of I'm not, I'm not, nominations yeah. without without wins. I'm, I'm not. I'm not worried about her eventually um, getting a trophy. Um, That's what everyone said about Glenn Close. Well, I mean, oh, now look where she is. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> she needs to go work with Daniels, <laughs> I think, or or she certainly needs to do a movie with Neon because they're they're really good. At yeah, um, Michelle Williams, um, good work in the Fablemans. I loved it. I really did. I think that she really tapped into. Um, if you've ever listened to Mama Spielberg talk, um, you know it, she she really got into that and just just got it outside of herself. Like this is not yeah, this is not the. Kind it of doesn't feel what you would expect. No, that's what I liked about it. Yeah. It doesn't feel expected. No, I, I mean she did. It, it's similar to what she did with um, Fosse Verdon, where she wasn't performing mm-hmm. as Michelle Williams. She was very much trying to get into the skin of Glenn Verdon. Um, you know, and just in this is a different kind of attempt at that same trick um which she's very good at that trick kate blanchett you know you talked about how you're not all that crazy about tar um i also don't think that kate blanchett does anything i don't expect kate blanchett to do yeah i mean this is you know you feel that you feel the role was written for her and i don't feel like is a kate blanchett perform a bad kate blanchett performance better than a lot of performances yes is this a challenging performance from her? I don't think no. so. Yeah, I mean, challenging in that, yes, she physically like conducted an orchestra. Cool. I don't think she makes any choices in this movie that I haven't seen her make or that I wouldn't expect her to make with this character. And that's that's the other failing I, fa- I find with this movie is I, I never once was surprised. Yeah. Not a thing she did as an actor, not a thing that happened in the screenplay was I surprised happened. Mm-hmm. And, and I found that very disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, not that every movie has to no, just, shock and awe or whatever, but like best actress over many other worthy best actresses. Yeah, are out there. you're gonna make me watch a movie for three hours. At one point in it, I want to be like, "Wow, I didn't expect that to happen." Yeah. And for three hours, I was like, "Okay." Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I, you know, I like this performance, but I like this performance because I like Kate Blanchett, and Kate Blanchett does Kate Blanchett in this movie. She's just yeah. saying some more reprehensible things that usually don't come out of her mouth. Um, yeah. So we have the whole story surrounding Andrea Riseborough. If people haven't heard, so Andrea Riseborough is nominated for a film called To Leslie, um, which is an interesting nomination in that it, it kind of, it's this very under the radar film. Like, I don't think. What's crazy is that the only major awards body to nominate her for Best Actress was the Chicago Film Critics Association, which I'm a member of. We showed to Leslie at the Chicago Film Critics Film Festival last spring. We nominated her. I, she was on my ballot for top five performances of the year. Yeah. I thought she was fantastic in this movie. Literally no one saw it. Yeah. What's what's wild to me that this quote-unquote came out of nowhere is, is there were critics, not just the Chicago critics, although we were the only um, – group to actually nominate her, but there were critics saying this is the one of the best performances of the year. And and I think like her nomin her grassroots nomination exposed multiple things. It exposed ra- inherent systematic racism. Mm-hmm. It exposed the way in which it, most nominations are paid for play. Um you know, because like the reason this didn't show up in the SAGs and things like that is it costs money to actually get nominated for a SAG. Yeah. I, I I've I, you have to it costs money to get your. It costs uh, money to do all of this. Let's be. It clear. costs money to do literally yeah. anything yeah. except except the Gotham Awards. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, they're the only ones where you don't have to pay to be considered. Right. Even even the indie spirits, there's there's some pay for play there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and this this campaign exposed so many different things. I, I feel bad for Andrea Riseborough that her name has got dragged into this because the thing is, it's a wonderful performance. I don't know if it's necessarily one of my top five performances of the year for, for women, just because it's been such a strong year. Um, and also just because I feel like I've seen this story before and there's more stories to be told. But it's not a bad performance at all. It's a, you know it's certainly as worthy as some of the other ones we've seen in this category in the past. And... You know, the fact that she was able to uh, capitalize on a grassroots campaign with her name. You know, I don't bemoan her that. I don't think that she was like, you know, twisting the arm of her friends to vote for her, like trying to get likes on on YouTube. Um, you know, so it, it's it's been an interesting story. Um, but it did it did show that social capital for white women is more oh, yeah. more. uh worth more than actual capital for black women. And I think, I think that is an important and, and honestly, somebody in her campaign knew that yeah, yeah. they wouldn't, they wouldn't have called on Gwyneth Paltrow if they didn't know that Gwyneth Paltrow's social capital was worth more than being on an actress round table. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. Like, so, I mean, I, I hope to see her like, she's been around for a long time. I hope to see her in a lot more things. She's good. She's very, very good. Um, and like, like we were saying earlier, like I hope that this nomination means good things for her. And then we have Anna de Armas in Blonde. Um, I did not care for this movie. Blonde is a terrible movie. Yes, it yes. Okay. it's a terrible movie. I think that given a better movie, a better director, a director who respects Marilyn Monroe, because there's no way in hell anyone will ever convince me that Dominic, what's his name? Andrew Dominic. Gives a sh- yeah. Andrew Dominic gives like one ounce of a care yeah. for who Marilyn actually was. Yeah. Um, and you can see it. It's not just, you can see it in the movie. Like this, the movie speaks for itself, but then he went and spoke for himself also and said even dumber things. Yeah. And it made me never, ever, ever want to watch anything he ever does again. Cause I have, I have no respect for him either at this point. He said some terrible things. Yeah. I think if you have not read any of his interviews, yeah. listeners go, go, read them and then tell me this isn't a piece of crap. He is. But what's what's depressing is that I don't think this is a good performance, but not because of Anna. It's not a good performance because she was not able to give a good performance given the constrictions that he put on on who he thought Norma was and who he thought Marilyn was. And but Anna gives enough that in a better in better hands, like if she had, like my my week with Marilyn is a terrible movie, also. But Michelle Williams had the freedom yeah. to really mine something interesting, yeah. it's not and and to try to show, a, a, yeah. yeah, and to show a, a a her interpretation of something very human within Marilyn, mm-hmm. right? Anna de Armas clearly has the skill to do that mm-hmm. and was constricted. Yes. And, and and instead is is playing like Dominic's fantasy of of Marilyn. As this wo- as only wounded, it's, that's the only thing she's allowed yeah, to show, every, and it's really depressing. Every single scene, I can imagine her direction was, I, I need it more fraught, more fraught. I need you to cry more. I need you to, yeah. Like I need to look at, oh, look at how terrible this is. I'm like, come on, uh, yeah. Like, and I, it, it's clear that she, I think she, and I've seen enough of her work to know that she has the capability to show joy and to show complexity within characters. And I don't think she was guided to that, nor was she given, she wasn't given the rope to do that. And if she did, those, those, those clips aren't, aren't the 
versions that were used, right? No, I, mean, like, it's, I, no, this, this I think thing, it's, this thing is flawed from formula. And then it gets even more flawed when Andrew Dominic is given just nothing but carte blanche to do whatever he wants to do. Um, I have said over and over on this show that there are a lot of directors in Hollywood that need to be told no more often. Yeah. And he's one of them. Um, you know, sorry, dude, you have not built up nearly enough currency to come up with an almost three hour exploitative poisoning as artsy movie about an icon without, you know, a single woman in the room. Sorry, Anna, I I, I don't mean to wail on you, but uh, over with It's also just really shitty that more people have been nominated for playing Marilyn Monroe than Marilyn ever was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, given that she's one of the, the greatest screen performers of like who's ever, ever done it, she understood she understood how to how to act for the camera more than anybody. What's that? Pretty much, what, you know what? What like? There's that whole. There's that lovely scene in My Week with Marilyn where Kenneth Branagh talks about how she knows exactly what to do at any given moment. It might take her a second to get there, but she finds it. Finds it when she finds it. It's perfect. Austin Ugh. Butler is here for Elvis. Colin Farrell for the Banshees of Inisherin. and Brendan Fraser uh, in the Whale. Paul Mescal for After Sun and Bill Nye from Living. Let's start with Elvis because that's going to come up a bunch later. I don't know the what thing, to make of this. The thing, okay, so the thing I liked about this is I do think, unlike Anna de Armas, Austin Butler is able to not just do. Uh, an idea of Elvis, but is actually goes yeah. further. He's he's allowed to find shades in Elvis. This is true, but but he also hits like there were moments. I've watched a lot of Elvis. Okay, the movies, not all, all of the movies, but pretty much every documentary, like any footage of Elvis, I've seen it. Yeah. And there were for the most of this movie, the, the movie on its own, so crazy movie, <laughs> but the uh, Austin in the center of it. There were moments where I was like, am I watching Elvis? Yeah. What is going on? And this is why I, like, I love Boz Lerman, but sometimes he does things and I'm like, why'd you do this? And it's like this new – it's been in a, at least the last 10 years. Every time you have someone playing a real person, they have to end the movie with the footage of the real person. Mm-hmm. And I really wish they hadn't done that because there was moments – like when he's performing evil, that whole sequence, like 10 minute sequence where he's performing evil for the crowd and it's like a race riot's about to happen. I was like, I'm watching Elvis. Yeah. This is great. And then the movie ends and they show you real Elvis. And it's like, well, now, you know, this is not even close to Elvis yeah, I mean, because nothing is as cl- good as Elvis. And it's like, don't do that. Don't ruin it. You, he, he really did cast this so well and found someone who really brought as close to it as you're going to get. But the minute you show real Elvis, it's not even, it's like miles away. What are you, like why would what, you do that to your what, performer? What you're bringing up that I think is really important is you could walk into any theater in Vegas and find an incredible Elvis impersonator. That's not yeah. what this movie is trying to do. It's not trying no. to make, you know, make it, make it sound like him and make it, it's like, we're trying to get like deeper into this and it doesn't matter that it's not bang on. Like, you know, I, the other, a few nights ago I was rewatching Ray for the first time in like easily 10 years. It's like, we don't need an impersonation of Elvis to make this movie work. And I think Austin Butler understood that it's like, you need to be able to embody it and get And bring that, bring that, that frenzy. Yeah. From the people watching it. And he brought the friend. I was like, yeah. damn, I can feel it. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my bra at him. <laughs> but um <laughs> I didn't. But he really he really gets it. And then I also I, I think when you get to sort of trigger warning here, fat Elvis, mm-hmm. um, the fat Elvis 
could have easily been really treacly. Yeah. And he he finds he finds the anger in there. He finds the the pathos in there. He finds the sadness in there. He finds the joy in there. And you don't have just fat you know fat jumpsuit Elvis. You have you have this wounded a, artist, a damaged soul. Yeah, still in there, which, which, yeah. Is, which is impressive because that's usually the punchline, right? Yeah, and it's not a punchline. No. It's 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 there. Um, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of uh, bravado and and bigness. Um, Paul Mescal in After Sun. Um, oh, see, like this is the kind of movie I'm like. I'm so happy you remembered this. Um, yes, happy that uh, this is this was kind of a, a, a wild year for a24 i kind of feel like a24 if they didn't have somebody at the top get changed out they were just tired of getting their ass handed to them um because they stuck the landing on a lot of their movies paul mescal he's so talented um this is such a subtle he's performance he's only 26 oh no, is he baby. that young holy crap he's a baby he's got that new car smell this, this is, is like his fourth perform fourth movie or something too i you know if anybody hasn't seen uh, normal people, uh, please watch that. You can watch it all in an afternoon. Um, it's a wonderful show. It's really, really, um, it's an amazing adaptation of, of a pretty damn good book. Um, I loved him in this movie. I loved him so much. He's doing so much with so little. Um, he knows the power of subtlety in this movie and gives us something so unexpected. I'm so happy. Yeah, and, and I definitely think this is not the last time. Oh, no. We'll see no. him. Like, he's, this is, this is announcing a, a new huge talent, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well done. Um, he's so good in this. Bill Nye in Living. Um, Sony Picture Classics always gets one old person nominated. <laughs> and I'm glad it's Bill Nye because Bill Nye has one of those careers where he mostly did comedy. Yeah. And so he hasn't gotten, you know, the same kind of respect as like one of the great actors of his generation, even though he is one of the he great is. actors of his yeah, generation. There's nothing the man um, can do. He can play, yeah, he can play and menacing. So, he can play sweet. He can play, he like, he can play funny in his sleep. He's one of the funniest yeah. actors out there. So it, am I glad that he's finally Oscar nominee Bill Nighy? Yes. Do I wish it was for something that showcased all of his talent? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but am I going to bemoan it being for this film? No. I, I feel I, I feel like he does. He elevates this movie because on the page it shouldn't work, um, you know, for, for all kinds of reasons, not the least of which you're remaking um, a masterpiece. But, yeah. I think, you know, of everything about this movie, he makes it work as well as it does. Um, yeah. Uh, and that this was the film that I ended with of all my homework that I had to do. Oh, that's this was good. the last one. So I was like, OK, going out on a high. Good work. I saw this at um, Virtual Sundance last year. Oh, right. Wow. This is, it's, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been holding for a long time. Uh, it, I think it was one of the last ones we watched um, out of Sundance last year. Then we have Brendan Fraser in The Whale. And Brendan Fraser is a fascinating story. This role is a complicated thing in general. And I came down on this is not a great movie, but he is great in it. He's great despite I th- I think, not great because. I think he is as great as the material allows, yeah. which is a backhand, purposefully backhanded compliment. Yeah. Um, I think he deserves better. Yeah. I think I think he was always like truly a movie star. Oh, he's, he's um, was not really treated yeah. as a movie star. Yeah, yeah. like 
even in the terrible terrible movies like bedazzled he's great you know <laughs> and um, like what i think is he was always a lovable doofus right or or yeah. um well and sometimes it just he got to do more complicated things like he's 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 so good in school ties he's so good in gods and monsters quiet american but, i always loved him in that but movie. yeah but he wasn't really considered um a serious actor even though he gave serious performances and so he leaned on the charm and did the movie star stuff mm-hmm. which is what people told him to do and then obviously things went real south because of how horrible this industry is to someone sweet like him mm-hmm. whether he wins or not hopefully it means that he is is back into being considered someone who should be first dibs on good roles because he can do it. Yeah. Like I still want it. I and, still and want to see him as like he's done, I want more stories like the whale just done better than the whale with him. Yeah. It. Yeah. And I still want him to play doofus because he's such I a want him to do anything he wants to do yeah. pretty much. All right, like, Mariah, let's talk about Colin Farrell. Oh my God. Colin Farrell. Uh, what can, what can be said about Colin Farrell? I have been a fan of Colin Farrell's for 22 years. I've been saying he was one of the best actors. People didn't listen. They kind of started to listen after in Bruges. But even then, like, I, you know, he, people started thinking of him as like this dark horse or whatever. And it's like, he was always good. Yeah. Even in, you know, even in something like Daredevil, he's fantastic in Daredevil. To see him finally break through and see it in a role that really understands what makes him a unique performer because it's written specifically for him by someone who has worked with him for so long. You get the comedy, you get the the sweetness you get the dark you can kind of get all you get the the really good eyebrow acting um <laughs> it's 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 also just been a great year for him in general he had this he had after yang he had um the batman and he had it was the ron howard tie cave yeah, rescue that's movie. the only one i didn't see so um, now i'm thinking I, I, gotta, very, I gotta check it out he's very solid in it and what's interesting and you, if you watch all four films is he gives a different kind of performance in each yeah. film. Yeah. He can do so There are four unique characters because he's someone who can do, you give him anything, he can do it. As as an Irish actor in an Irish film like this, I think that's also really important um, because he's someone who often has not been able to um, play into the charm of the Irishman, mm-hmm. of his voice, of the, the tenor that he can bring when he gets to keep his accent, the way in which the Irish people use comedy in multiple ways. Like that's part of, that's their culture is, is to deflect with comedy, is to show love with comedy. Like, and I think this is a movie that understands all of that really well and gives, gives him this great showcase for that but then just the role itself is such a sweet role he's just he speaking of doofuses he's just a guy who wants to be nice hang out with his donkeys drink beer with his friend and that's his life and that's That's enough enough for him him. Um, and it was always enough for him until someone was like what about legacy and he's like what (laughs) And, and the way the way the way he's able to go from just that to you see the change that's why I love the like the complexity of the performance is he is this like blank slate, you know, little dim bulb kind of guy who uh, that is enough. And then the minute it's he starts questioning, the spiral isn't just the losing of the friendship. The spiral is also he's now at for once thinking about life beyond day to day, and that's 
that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot to to take in. Anybody who thinks that he's just now pulling this out of his pocket, go back to something like Tigerland and watch Tigerland. That. Go back to something like A Home at the End of the World. A Home at the End of the yeah. World. He's still good yeah, in that. One of the ongoing themes as we talk about these actors is it's a lot of people who can do a lot of things you know like listen i i love meryl as much as the next person but meryl comes up and meryl does what meryl does you know yeah and so that's what i like about seeing she didn't used to too that's no, depressing that's what's depressing that, that's what i like about seeing she's making like interesting choices brian tyree henry and hong chow mm-hmm. and stephanie sue you, you know and and, and brandon frazier is, is that they do different things and we're awarding them for doing something special um this time out even though they often do something special um okay that's the actors we are going to take a quick break here and uh reload um and we'll be back to talk about directing and picture right after this We are back. She's Mariah E. Gates. I am Ryan M. McNeil. Can I, I've always hated that my parents gave me a middle initial that's the same as my last initial. You know? Yeah, that's funny. What's is it, Michael? Yes. Good guess. Yeah. Um, that's my brother's middle name. Yeah, nice. so. um, yeah. We've been talking about the uh, Oscar nominations for the year of 2022, the 95th Oscar nominations uh, happening uh, at the in, in the middle of March. Um, we are on to Best Director, and uh, we're back to having five boys. Hooray. Uh, Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inishirin, The Daniels, Daniel Kwan, and Daniel Schneidert for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Ruben Oostland for Triangle of Sadness. We talked already about Todd Field. It's wild that he's been nominated for every single movie yeah. he's made. He's only made three. Yeah. That's just crazy. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a handsome movie. It's it's a really, this it's, it's cold. It's epic. Like, this is a big movie. Um, you know, watching him do all the things that he does with the orchestras and those kinds of things and these very subtle uh, looks between um, Lydia Tarr's assistant and her partner um, and, and, and like her crew. Um, you know, it, it's it's well directed. I don't know if it's necessarily one of the best directed movies, but it is well directed. Yeah, I would say I think because he wrote and directed it, that a lot of the failing of what I don't like about it comes from, is from, no, it's just, it's from, it's from him. The the failing starts at him. Um, Sorry, Todd Field. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Nick Nightingale. Fantastic. (laughs) And in a way, uh, I appreciate that he did make a three hour movie in a very detailed world. But the fact that he, he was able to conceive it all, whether I think it was successful, that's, that's, you know, on another that's for another day. Um, I will say I do I do appreciate that he was able to think on this scale yeah. and achieve what I think he wanted to achieve. Martin McDonough is back for the Banshees of Inishirin. He is very quickly turning into an Oscar cottage industry. Um, you know, I'm I, like we said this earlier when we were talking about screenplay. 
I'm happy that he got this because this really is a masterpiece of um of filmmaking in in all respects in in terms of again yeah. scope like he makes kind of the exact opposite everything that is great about this movie yeah. from the cast from the writing to the casting to the editing to how how it was conceived came martin started it started in his head right so i really appreciate the directing here because he conceived all of this and it and nailed it what i will in, say about this life. movie right. is the first time i was shown the trailer I saw the backs of two men standing on the shores of Galway Bay, and then the camera match cut to the faces of Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell, and I immediately said, this is a Martin McDonough movie. You know, two shots. Yeah. And I'm like, I know who made this. And- I, I went in knowing nothing. I I believe I may have seen the photo of Colin and the donkey. Right over the summer, but I blocked it out of my head because I didn't want to know anything. Yeah. I like to go into Colin Farrell movies knowing nothing. That's a good way to go. Um, I like to be delighted because yeah. um, I'm just going to see it anyways. Yeah. Like, it's Colin Farrell. I'm going to see it. And um, I'm glad I I had forgotten about the donkey because um, I love donkeys. Oh, and no. I really love donkeys. <laughs> and they're, like, one of my favorite animals. They are so sweet. I'm not laughing at And you, obviously – Obviously, like Jenny the donkey, great donkey character, very tragic. Um, she she deserved better, but um, I I love this is completely out there. But I love that <laughs> I love that he really understands how sweet donkeys are. Um, don- that's his best friend. Yeah. Like it's his other best friend, and and the movie understands that, and it's not in a it's not done in a um, mocking way. No. The relationship of him and the animal. I think I told this story on film spotting, but when I was um, eleven or twelve, my like best friends were these two pigs that my neighbors had, Aww. and they're very like the relationship you have with farm animals can be very deep. Yeah, and. And most animals are, are – I say this as I have a cat like literally sitting on my lap. Most animals are very good listeners and and I think the perception is that they're not listening or they don't care. But the reality is most animals do care. Most animals do listen and they just communicate in a different way than we're used to and you have to be able to perceive it um, and open to perceiving it and open to perceiving uh, how an animal reciprocates your love. And this movie really gets that. Yeah. And And – especially for in a rural place that that's a real loss. Mm-hmm. Those, those are real relationships he had with the donkey and, and it's a real loss and a real violence comes from that anger of that loss. And, and I think some, I've seen some people think of it as like this exaggerated. Oh no, no, yeah, no, no. It's, it's not exaggerated no, no. at all. It's only exaggerated if you're like a city kid who has, who have like never had a pet yeah, or something. No. The, the, um, the relationship, it, you're right. You're the, the relationship. It's very between, respectful. Uh, anybody who lives in a rural setting and the animals that you live with, it's, it's, it's very deep. Um, Steven Spielberg is back uh, for the Fablemans. Um, he could win this category. He's kind of been dancing around the outside of winning a third trophy for a while now. So Hollywood likes movies about Hollywood. Unless you're called Babylon, apparently. I mean, he's been cranking out additional masterpieces for 20 years now. I know a lot of people kind of tapped out by by the time he got done with, um, you know, Saving Private Ryan. But a lot of Latter-day Spielberg has been incredible films. And this is one of them. Specifically, I like the ways that he nodded to other contemporary filmmakers. Yeah. While, like, he did the Spielberg version of a Lucas film and the Spielberg version of 
De Palma film, mm-hmm. like within his own film. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really clever. The other thing that I think is has been lacking from his later films, like they're really well made, but for the most part, they're very clinical in their emotions. Yeah. Um, and they, they don't have, like he used to be this like ramshackle young kid who like, the adventure was making the movie, yeah. right? And that's why that's why Indiana Jones is so good, is you can see him having fun making the movie, yeah. and so the movie's fun. Yeah. I think that was a little lacking in some of his later films. I haven't seen them all. I've kind of have a gap uh, after Lincoln. I kind of fell off a little bit, um, and I've been slowly watching them again. Uh, Ruben Usland for Triangle of Sadness. Uh, this is Neon. I, I don't I don't understand this, this, this nomination Neon. at all. Like, Neon has become this man. Neon has become an well, absolute is, force in terms of their Neon's good at this and. And every year for the last few years, um, since they've expanded and had more international voters, you get one, you tend to get one international filmmaker in there. And everyone thought it was going to be Decision to Leave. But Decision to Leave was a movie. Mm. Movie doesn't know what they're doing yet. No. Even if that film is better film, and I, I, I think as a much better film, movie could not play the game correctly. They didn't have the money, you know. Yeah. And so, of course, it's going to go. This is this was the international film. Other than All Quiet, this was the international film with the most money. Yeah. With someone who has two, it's he has two Palm d'Ors. You know, people know him. This is the. Prestige. It's mostly in English. Yeah. It's mostly in. It's mostly in English. So it's it's only vaguely an international <laughs> film. Yeah. Like. Uh, and also, you know, the way that the industry likes movies about the industry, they also like to think they're they like performative. Uh, progressivism right. and this is such a performative progressive movie yeah. it's not a progressive movie it doesn't say anything interesting yeah. there was a lot of other films that were really well directed this year that i would have loved many 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 directors that should have been in this slot. um and then of yes. course we have the daniels um for everything everywhere all at once um you know th- he's come a long way from the farting corpse movie no kidding you know but also that you know the fact that they have such a singular offbeat perspective on art and found a studio that believed in them yeah like they they are obviously guys who have been here for a minute and know how to maximize everything and i don't just say that because this is just such a bombastic concept where they just throw so much at the wall to see what it sticks i mean this is a movie as much as this is a movie about um you know overload it's also a movie about restraint because this movie very easily yeah. could have just turned into something bananas and incomprehensible. So the fact that they weren't given this massive budget to do every last thing that came to their head, because I'm sure yeah, they had to be really, head, they had to be very economical. Like this is the opposite of something like blonde where like a studio told them no several times along with all of the yeses that they were told. Yeah. It's like, we're going to enable you to do what you want to do but you're not going to be able to do everything you want to do. So please make it. Yeah. It's, it's great to see a throwback to people who cut their teeth making music videos because that's, you have less and less of that Mm -hmm. partly because there's less and less music videos being made, which there should be a whole, there's like a, probably a whole study on the like downfall of actual interesting filmmaking and the downfall of music videos, because some of the more interesting filmmakers came out of music videos. Somewhere Mark Roman was crying. Yeah. He came out of music videos. (laughs) Andrew came out of music videos. Mary Lambert came out of music um, videos. It's like music videos were a great way to learn Florida, how to Florida, do things. Lindy, music videos. Yeah. Uh, you know, Spike Jones. Just, yeah. So many interesting people. So, you know, um, bring back yeah. music videos. So, here, here. Uh, the Daniels, you do amazing work. Uh, then we have this very strange cross section of movies for Best Picture. 
Okay. All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fableman's Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. Okay. So we've talked a lot about everything everywhere all at once. It's clear our affection is with this movie. Um, you know, we're going into the the home stretch where we're really going to see where voters minds are at, but you know, as we yeah, are did people actually watch yeah, it. As we are talking about this on Thursday, February 16th with a little under a month to go, it seems to be sitting as the front runner and I th- both of us are just happy that it's here and doing as well as it's doing. The Fablemans again, similar similar thing. Like it Honestly, the fact that it bombed at the box office and still managed to pull through is good. Also, okay, we did not talk about this, but I do think it bombed a bit at the box office because it is, since Schindler's List, probably the most Jewish thing Spielberg has done. And there has been really, really, really huge rise in anti-Semitism here. And I do think that that was a factor. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a lot of conversation about Could that. Be. But I, I, I really do think it was a factor. I don't think people because knew what it was. To be entirely well, honest, com- like you know, it's a combo. You know, it, like I think it's a combo. Just you know, to, to say nothing because I the fact it used that the to whole be industry remains in a very deep slump. Like if you are not named Fast Something or Marvel Studios Presents or but Spielberg is one of the few directors who is who who is a a brand yeah. in and of himself. Yeah. So I yeah, it's it. We put it, in that out be. there. I, like I, it's 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 definitely a possibility. Um, you know, with a, with a name like the Fablemans, you're you're absolutely right. Um, Banshees of Inishirin, which, I mean, the 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 wild thing about that is that didn't make a lot of bank either. But Fox made the interesting searchlight is usually they made really the interesting good decision at... to flip that over to Disney Plus real fast. Yeah, and and HBO Max. Yeah, um, which is which is interesting. I mean, in a in a parallel universe, that's. And, and may still be like, that's your, your winner for how well it did in all these other categories in terms of performance, in terms of craft, you know, we don't talk about the craft um, categories much on this show, just because it's already a long show, but it's handsome and it's well scored and it's well shot um, and very, very well cut. Um, you know, it, it, it seems deceptively so, because it seems so simple. And yet there's a lot going on that's all executing um, on, on, on a high level. Um, and of course, we talked about Tar, which, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it is. Um, you know, I, I, I dug it for what it was. Mariah's got some really, really good points about why it doesn't succeed. Um, then we get into some of these other movies. So we've talked about Triangle of Sadness. It getting into the best picture category is kind of a coup. I do think it is. This is Hollywood thinking they're doing something progressive. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. I really do. And it's like, no, no like it's, <laughs> but okay. It's not, you know, it's not drive my car. You know, it's, it's no. not, it's not cold war. It's, it's, you know, if you want to, like you say, it's it, technically an international picture, but it's primarily in English. It's literally not doing a good job at what it's claiming. It's a satire of. No, no. Um, like, you know, and he and he did better. I thought he did a better job of that with Force Majeure. Uh, in the middle of this mix, we have women talking, um, which I kind of hope for more things from. I was surprised more of the women who do the talking weren't nominated. Claire yeah. Foy, um, 
why did her name Jesse Buckley? Thank you, Jesse Buckley, who just can do no wrong these days. Yeah. Um, and Rooney Mara, to say nothing of some of the other, uh, and even Ben Wishaw. Ben Wishaw, oh, ben Wishaw is so good in this movie. Um, so I mean, it's it's strange because on the one hand, here you go, it's one of the the top ten movies of the year, but on the other hand, it feels like it failed, which is a pity. Yeah. Top Gun Maverick, which I man, did not realize this is. Jerry Bruckheimer's first and presumably maybe only <laughs> Oscar nomination. Didn't realize Which, it, but I'm not surprised. On one side, well, I mean, on one side he does feel like someone who's overdue just in terms of like, if you look at how many, how many classics yeah. he's produced in the genre, how many shit also, but how many classics, yeah. how much money he's made the industry yeah. on one side. I did. I like Top Gun Maverick at all. No, but on the other side, people loved it. Yeah. The audiences loved it. And Brockheimer has been giving pe- the people what they want for a very long time. Yeah. So I can't I can't completely be like, ah, this is unearned. Like, how, how long has he been making it? 35 years? Like, Paramount was bound and determined to make this happen. And as much as we want to throw shade at some of the performers and some of the films that did not get nominated, um, we can throw shade at the companies who repped those films because at a certain point you need to understand what you have and you need to drag it over the goal line if it's not something that's necessarily like, I mean, this is the thing. Top Gun Maverick on its surface should not be here. It's not doing anything special. You know, it's taking advantage of one of those, um, pop film slots that the expanded field was designed to honor but it's not elevating the genre it's it's here because it's successful and because it's a spectacle right yeah so okay cool but if paramount shows that it can be done there are some other companies out there very very big companies that should be able to do this as well with other films that do better things with what they're there for now the opposite of that which kind of surprised the holy crap out of me is we have Avatar, The Way of Water. And this is the first time we're talking about this all show. Uh, James Cameron and John Landau. Did you see this coming? Yes, because the movie made so much money. Oh, like, I, I I, really hated this movie. I hated the first one, too. But they're both they're terrible, but people love them. I, I, I can't even say that it's technically, that technically I liked it because I couldn't even watch it with the 3D glasses. I had to take them off. It was making me vomit. Right. Frankly, I don't know what this movie looked like because most of the time I it was distorted for me. Um, so I didn't get the, the visuals. Um, and the story is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it's really bad. The first but one, it transports people, yeah. I guess. I don't the know. First one I, the this is one of those. was this technical leap. You know, like I, when the first one came out, I was like, the story is good enough for this advancement in filmmaking. And now it's 13 years later, the rest of the studios have caught up to what that film did. Like that film dragged filmmaking, kicking and screaming somewhere where it didn't necessarily want to go. But it- I watch Avatar and I don't I don't see a film. I don't see anything motion picture in here. I just, it doesn't feel like the filmmaking art to me. Well, the first one didn't either. None of the performances are very good. No. The story is no. not good. The technology is not film technology. Well, it's, it, but I mean, it like, oh, so, so, you know, my, my thing was the first time around, I was like, it was this leap hung on a story that was just barely good enough that had done done a trillion times before and is deeply problematic. And okay, fine. But we're, we're using that as the vessel to give you this dog and pony show. 
Okay, fine. Now it's 13 years later and everybody else uses that dog and pony show to, you know, not great results, not making yours look a whole lot better, by the way. Like, it's not like you did it first and you did it best. You know, you're, you're, yeah. not, you're not thriller. And now you come up with with nothing revolutionary in the technique. Like there is no shot in this movie or no effect in this movie and no disrespect to the really, really talented technicians who put an artist who put a lot of work and time and money in it. Like the money is all up there on the screen. That is for sure. And the 13 years yeah. is all up there. But there is not there. That leap isn't there. I, I hate to say this. It is a video game. I've watched this the way that he yeah. wanted it. And, he wanted and it this is not a diss on video games. Um, no. Like, I don't I, – I, video game is it's separate art. Yes. It is a separate art, and I, I and I agree that it is an art, but it is a separate art. And I don't know the – I don't see why films have to be video games. No, and the And why video games – well, let it be a video game. I, like, That's my – Well, but I mean, the, the, the crazy thing is I watched the, – the, the wild thing is I watched this film while I am waist deep – in a television show that is based on a video game that is just lapping this movie in terms of story. And I'm like, if you want to create something that feels false, you can still find humanity in it somewhere. And this movie just does not do it. James Cameron could have probably made more money if he just made avatars as video games to begin with. Yes. Yeah. No, please, please skip this movie. People, you have better things to do with three hours. Like, um, I, I'm, I wish I had, I didn't even pay to see it. And I wish I had done literally anything else. Yeah. Um, no. Elvis is here for best picture as well. Uh, Elvis is such a mess. <laughs> this movie. Okay. The thing is, I love Baz Luhrmann. Me too. In my soul. This movie is not great, no. but I also, it is exactly what I expected from him. So part of me is like, are there better made films that should have this spot? Absolutely. Yeah. Including other spectacle cinema. Yeah. Am I at all shocked that this is the Elvis movie Baz Luhrmann made? No. no. Yeah. This is exactly what I expected Elvis to be in the hands of Baz Luhrmann. I enjoyed it from start to finish. It wasn't my favorite. It didn't make my favorite film of the year. I won't watch it again, but I hell enjoyed it from beginning to end. I mean, it's... He knows how, he knows how to entertain. It's walk hard. Oh, I think I said popcorn, but yes, it is walk hard. It, it it is it is really walk hard. And I part of me is like, did he do that purposefully? Did he know he was doing this? I don't really know. I don't really care. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and people enjoyed it. It's another movie that made a lot of money. Yeah, um, and at least. I, what I will say is at least Baz Luhrmann understands what makes cinema interesting. Cinema. It feels like cinema. It feels like he was using filmmaking techniques. He was doing homages to Elvis films. He was doing all kinds of things that felt like someone who understands the art he's working in and is using digital technology within that art, not to replace the art with digital technology. Okay, you'll know this. Is that how the colonel sounded I believe so. Oh he he was this, like um, he was this sort of. I mean, it's a little heightened because it's, it's. I think that was the point. Okay. Again, it's another one that's a fable, right? It's clearly a fable. Right. Um, that was that was the, but, that was the hardest thing for me. To but get I, he was he was indistinguishable. Clearly, somewhere from Europe, but had lived in the South for a while, so the voice was was. It, you could, you were like, 
is he Dutch? Like you're, you're really not sure. <laughs> I need to I need to watch um, more clips. But I don't think it's a good I don't think it's a good performance. No. I think Tom Hanks like yes. over overshot that mark. Oh yeah. But I mean I see what he was trying to do and I feel like he just went a little too yeah. far and Boss just let him go too yeah. far. And then there's All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, you know, Netflix has uh been putting a lot of muscle over the last few years uh behind the projects that they get. This is another one of What's theirs. wild is they did not think this was their pony at the beginning of the race. They putting all their stuff like no no there was there was like no critics at the All Quiet. Huh. Um they they at the beginning uh, at TIFF they thought the swimmers was their movie. Oh. They had the, the big fancy opening like right 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 not right, a good right. movie. And then for a while they were like oh maybe it'll be Glass Onion and they pivoted there and then people liked Pinocchio so they were like oh maybe Pinocchio is our movie this year and they kept you know, and like starting at Venice, they were like, oh, it'll be Bardo and Blonde. And then obviously those movies didn't launch. And at each festival, you know, normally they'll have, you know, six movies that are like, these are our Oscar movies. We'll start at the festivals. We'll figure it out. After the festivals, we'll figure out what our number one movie yeah. is. That didn't happen this year yeah. because each movie didn't launch well. At, and none of the movies launched well at any of the festivals. And... For a while, they were like, well, maybe it'll be Pinocchio. And I think they really put more money towards Pinocchio than All Quiet. But Pinocchio couldn't get over the hump of being an animated film, even though it had Guillermo attached to it. And But what happened with All Quiet that's fascinating and why it, it sort of came out, came out of nowhere is because it was developed by the European branch of Netflix, the European branch has their own awards team. Ah. And they pushed it. Yeah. So they, they work in tandem, but they are two different teams. And they um, – they pushed it for the BAFTAs, pushed, pushed it hard for the BAFTAs with the European award money. And um, obviously that paid off. It was the most BAFTA-nominated film. And from that, it was suddenly like, oh, we have this movie. And and on top of that, they had the European voters in the Academy now. And that's how it ended up usurping Pinocchio. I mean, the good thing, too, is but it's, it's, a, it's, it's a really weird, good weird, movie. Like, the thing, it, it is, no, it's a great it is intense. Um, it's brutal. But as a, as a, as a, as a analysis yeah. of what Netflix has been doing over the last few years, this was the most throw everything at the wall, oh, yeah. see what sticks. And the thing that stuck is what no one expected to stick. Yeah. It went under the radar because, not just because of Netflix, but because of certain critical biases i think and um but I, I saw it and i was like how is this not there i don't i don't think it's a perfect movie but in terms of of what you expect a, a war movie that feels pedigreed to be a best picture contender mm -hmm. this movie was it when i saw yeah. it especially in the theater with the beautiful sound design oh, yeah. i was like how are they not treating it like this yeah, i'm sorry that i didn't and how, how, how are they not how is the critics not like it was very wild. So, I mean, I'm happy that it's here. I'm happy that people are going to get I'm glad I was assigned. Shout out to uh, Rodrigo at the playlist because I actually didn't know even know this was being made, frankly, <laughs> until I was assigned it. Good work, Rodrigo. Um, um, all right. We're going to take a very quick break here. Um, we're going to talk about some trends and omissions and wrap up the show right after this. We try not to use the word snub too much because look up the meaning of snub and you'll see why. Um, 
films that were omitted from some of the larger categories and some trends that we saw. Um, I, I think I know where you're going to start, but I'm going to leave it to you. Uh, Mariah, when you looked over everything that we talked about today, uh, what stuck out for you? The, I mean, obviously the biggest oversight and omission was The Woman King. Yeah. With literally no nominations. It wouldn't have been as stark of a clear bias is unconscious that's why they call it unconscious bias and i think there was a clear unconscious bias against this movie um you heard it when like gina and her she wrote a piece gina prince bythe with the writer director she wrote a piece for the the hollywood reporter where people would come to screenings and say i wasn't planning to see this like but i but i loved it and 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 they meant that uh as a compliment but it's like not yeah it's not a compliment. When you have a filmmaker like Gina Prince-Bythewood, she has pay- paid her due. She she started in TV. She had a hugely successful independent film that launched two stars, mm-hmm. now in the Criterion Collection. Mm-hmm. She did a family drama. She did a musical drama. She did um, a TV show. Then she did – she's the first black woman to do a, a $100 million comic book adaptation it was for netflix but it was still a hundred million dollar comic book adaptation that will guard which is um, with with one of great film with one of the um biggest movie stars in the world Charlize theron um she had she did all the rungs on the ladder that should have brought her to this film being lauded in a way that it wasn't and and it's not because it wasn't quality it's a quality film it's just as good as any other film of this caliber that has been nominated in the past she has the same background um she did all the steps it was a movie that was not considered a front runner by certain again critics groups and other things even though its studio believed in Mm -hmm. it because going back to pay for play she was in every director's roundtable. She at TIFF, um, they put the free. I think it was Hollywood Reporter, but it might have been Variety. They put free magazines everywhere for all the critics to see who was on the cover: Viola and Gina. Which means they paid a ton of money to be the main film people read about. But because it was almost all black women, many of whom were from Africa or of African descent, but really two of the main leads are from literally from Africa. Yeah. Um, and because it's a war movie set in Africa, told from a perspective that we don't normally get because we usually have war movies in Africa from either their guerrilla war movies or their um, colonial people telling yeah. the colonial version of a, of a, of a war thing. So it, 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 it was really was like had the pedigree, had the pay for play, but because it had a different perspective and specifically because it was about by and for black women, it got shut out. Um, it happened to Till. Yeah. Um, another one that where the director went from a, a well-regarded indie film to a, a blockbuster, not a blockbuster, but a, a, an Oscar contender with a studio that believed in it, a studio that same thing. They paid to have her in the director's conversations. They paid to have Danielle Deadweiler in all of the photo shoots and the conversations with actresses. And they, they paid, they did all of the steps. People still didn't prioritize that film. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think the discussion Often, especially on on Twitter where people are are dumb and they take the, like, least amount of thinking to have thoughts, the discussion isn't that people purposefully – and this is always the discussion with with race and particular misogynoir. The thing – people always think that it's a purposeful, like, I'm specifically not – 
going to watch this film by a black woman and I made this decision. Yeah. It's usually not a conscious decision. Yeah. yeah. That's why the work is so hard is you have to, you have to understand like, why am I not, why didn't I think about watching this movie? Why did I put it off? Yeah. And people don't like to think that deeply. And it's, it, Cause, it cause, goes cause it's like, to what the does same... it say about me? Well, it's, you know, it says that it's not yeah. something you reach for, but maybe it should be. And you know, that's the, maybe it should like, be. And, and, and why why are you not reaching for yeah. this film? Yeah. There's still, uh, I think, one performer ever who got an Oscar nomination in a film directed by a black woman. Yeah. And that's that's Leslie Odom Jr. Um, recently, yeah. right? So it, one of the things I think people also still don't want to think about is who who is getting when when specifically black women make it through or black performers make it through who is who is guiding those films yeah. most of them are still written and directed by white people yeah. it's starting to get a little bit better about written and directed by black people but then when black women are nominated what category are they nominated in most often supporting supporting yeah and Even when they are so clearly where, where have they won where have they won support supporting right. What kinds of roles are they getting nominated for? Angela Bassett, I love her, but she's still she's being nominated for like a, a royalty role, yeah. right? And almost always, supporting actress often goes to royalty, whatever the race is. There's a well dressed royal is what Ebert used to call it, right? But Angela Bassett has has done complex, amazing performances of just normal black women. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, the previous film that uh, the director of Till did, Alfre Woodard, she she played just a normal black woman who had see, right? an that- immense, yeah, an immense emotional journey. Mm. Didn't didn't the, you know, yeah. which it's not the kind of black woman they want to think about, and so I I think that's part of the part of the conversation isn't just oh well they oh, Angela Bassett's there it's like okay but what kind of what kind of roles are nominated what kind of films are nominated what categories do they end up being in I think it's some of the problem with the discussion is it's not not as nuanced as it needs to be and I mean as you know over the last decade or so that I've really dedicated towards um, advocacy towards film structured by women, right? What I've really found is that most people don't think about who is creating the films that they're watching yeah. and how that affects what they watch. Yeah. yeah. And and it's always been that way from the from the word go. It's very frustrating. I'm sure like a lot of like academics will use this year to write about a pivot in the industry Hopefully. or as a, as a watershed or, or as a, a just not even a watershed, but because the watershed indicates that things will change, but as a, a moment of clarity. Yeah, I hope so. Um, we are going to make predictions and our predictions are often wrong, uh, but we're going to do it yes. anyway. <laughs> um, so we're going to go back to the screenplays. Best adaptation, All Quiet on the Western Front, Glass Onion, Living... Top Gun Maverick and Women Talking, Mariah Gates. Um, I think Sarah Polly might come through. I certainly hope so. I think it comes to cold of personality and it's Sarah Polly and Ryan Johnson. Yeah. Uh, original screenplay. Now, would I love Ryan Johnson to win an Oscar? Oh, yes, because yeah. I think he's fantastic. Yeah. He's a nice guy. Yeah. So yeah. Or, just on or, top of everything. Or Ishiguro. I, I mean, I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I would love if he's holding a job. But I, I think this is Sarah Polly here. Uh, best original really screenplay: do. Banshees of Inisherin, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fableman's Tar, Triangle of Sadness. My heart wants to give it to the Daniels because, again, I think it is not just the most original; it's also the most inventive, mm-hmm. um, and structurally, 
like complicated. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I would love it to be the Daniels. I think it will be Martin McDonough. You know, they, they've been lurking outside his window for Oscar's been lurking outside so his long. window for a while. They need yeah. to finally um, climb inside. Come, come on. Best in. supporting actress, Angela Bassett, Hong Chow, Carrie Condon, Jamie Lee Curtis, Stephanie Sue. I think this is Bassett's to lose, really so. but if anyone is going to usurp, I think it'll be Carrie Condon. Oh, yeah, that would be interesting. Um, That's what yeah, I think. I, I'm going to go with Angela Bassett. I'm going to keep Hong Chow as my second, my second selection. I, I, I would, I, and and well, well deserved um, for her for her her work. Supporting actor: uh, Brendan Gleeson, Brian Tyree Henry, Judd Hirsch, Barry Keoghan, and Kaylee Kwan. I think this is Kay's yes. to lose. Also, he's won every precursor. If he if he uh, didn't win, it would be an actual upset. I think you're really gonna know. No. I think you're really, really, really gonna know at SAG. I think if something changes at SAG next week, um, yeah, that, that'll be your indicator. But right now, uh, you know, everybody seems to love Kaylee, so um, that would be a wonderful thing to see. And I and I I second the motion and deserved. Yes. Oh yeah, the most heartbreaking soulful performance of the yep. bunch so he's doing so much best actress kate blanchett anna de armas andrea riseborough michelle williams michelle yo i mean i think it's gonna be kate blanchett but i think i think people don't see that she's turning herself into meryl streep yeah by lauding her by lauding every kate blanchett performance just because it's good and not because it is a great kate blanchett performance that's how you end up with meryl right. streep right so and you can see it in her interviews she's 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 Upper starting up her head in a way that she didn't used to be. It's very frustrating. I, I think Michelle Yeoh should yeah, win. I'm, I hope Michelle Yeoh wins. I'm going to put the good vibes into, her, into the universe. I'm going to call Michelle Yeoh. I want Michelle Yeoh to win so and badly. We'll know in two weeks with sex. Uh, best yeah. actor: Austin Butler, Colin Farrell, Brendan Fraser, Paul Mescal, Bill Nye. I actually don't know. I you know it's really tough because there isn't really a front runner. I would be wild if Paul Mescal came in as like a dark okay. horse because he clearly has support. Yeah. He wasn't expected to get the nomination, yeah. so it'd be would be wild. But and he'd be the youngest winner if he did win. Um, but Same obviously, my heart and soul. Yeah, um, Brody was twenty seven. Paul Mescal's twenty six. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm pretty sure. Um, Wait. We'll double check, but I'm pretty it sure he'd be the youngest. Seems like it's going to be Brendan Fraser, but I feel oh, he just turned 27. Uh, Paul Mescal just turned 27, but I think he's still a younger 27. Okay. I feel like things are cooling on the whale. Um, you know, yeah, if Fraser won, it would be out of people loving Fraser yeah. and him. You know, not showing up the Globes, which he deservedly should not have shown up the Globes, and I wish more people supported him and not showing up the Globes. Yeah. Um, that probably didn't, there's going to be people who are assholes in this industry and will look down on him yeah. for that, but we'll see. I mean, I, I, worry, I wonder if it's going to be kind of like Mickey Rourke and the wrestler where like all these boxes were getting checked in the run up and then you just couldn't yeah. like, seriously, that last stretch to the goal line. It's the hardest part. My heart says it's going to be Colin Farrell. I'd love he that. He is so beloved. I really would. He's so good in a room. He's so charming. He's been doing all kinds of screenings in LA. Yeah. But yeah, also, I'll put that honestly, out to the universe. Colin Farrell, sure. Any one of the the thing that's great about actor this year is, honestly, I wouldn't be mad if any of these people won. No, I yeah. actually don't think there's a bad performance no. in here. And usually, actor is the worst, worst category. Yeah. There's usually a lot of terrible performances. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. good. No. I don't care yeah, who wins. Fantastic. No, honestly, I want Colin Farrell to win so that I feel vindicated. <laughs> in your, in your Colin Farrell but, standing. 
but I would I not be mad if anybody gotcha. won because everyone's good for once in this category. This director, Martin McDonough, the Daniel, Steven Spielberg, Todd Field, Ruben Ustland. I guess, again, the guilds will show like who wins the DGA is probably going to be a big factor yeah. here. I want the Daniels to win. The Daniels I feel should like they, win. They did something. I feel like Spielberg will win. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he is loved. Yeah. They, People love they, him. They've had chances to hand him another trophy for a while now. Like they could have, they certainly could have handed him one for for Lincoln, as a for instance. Um, yeah, they 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 they've just kind of they've had him sitting sitting on the sidelines for a while, and I feel like they they want to get him a third because it's been a long time since since it's been twenty five years. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I'll go with that. The Daniels should Spielberg will. Finally, best picture, okay. All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, The Fableman's Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. I, I'm just going to go with everything. Yeah, yeah me too. I, I mean, I, it's so I would good. be surprised if it got this much nomination love and did not uh, stick the landing. I think if anything is going to steal its thunder, it would probably be Banshees. Um, yeah, I think so as well. Um, but I really, really hope that Oscar finishes what they started and um, gives top prize to everything, everywhere, all at once for all kinds of reasons. Um, you know, I, I, for, you know, just to be able to say, like, you don't have to release your film in the last two months of the year for it to be considered serious, worthy, what have you. And, and you know, it's a movie that straddles both the populist line and the art mm-hmm. line. Like it's an art mm-hmm. film, very much an art film, but norm, normal people yeah. also can yeah. enjoy it. It's not like tar where it's a very certain, <laughs> even as an art film, I'm a fan of art films and I didn't right. like it. You yeah. know what I mean? Your average person is watching tar being like, what the heck is this? Whereas everything everywhere all at once you can, as an art film person, like I guarantee you there's people who watched it and loved it and have no idea who Wong Kar Wai yeah. is. Yeah. They don't no, know, no. right? But then those of us who do know and love Wong Kar Wai, we're like, yes, <laughs> give us a Wong Kar Wai verse. We all want to live in a Wong Kar Wai verse. Like, because they, because you they know, all so look it so, so good. Many and they make smoking look so cool. Everyone looks beautiful in a Wong Kar Wai shot God help lens us, they do. movie. That you know? is episode 301 of the Matinee Cast. I am so very thankful that Mariah was able to come back and do what she does so well. Um, Please come back to the show on Monday, March the 6th, for episode 302. Uh, I have no idea what we're going to talk about yet. That's about to open. Mariah contributes all over the place, and she's on RogerEbert.com. Do you got anything coming up that you want to plug? Well, if if you have yet to subscribe to my newsletter, I would would love that. um, Every Friday, I highlight films directed by women, Um, usually one or two new films to seek out. And then um, I try to do four to five streamer releases every week because believe it or not there are so many films directed by women that you will never run out even if you watch one every day for the rest of your life who knows uh, and if people want to follow you on twitter where can they find you uh i am at old films flicker pretty much everywhere i don't use twitter as much anymore it's sort right. of yeah ever yeah. since you know yeah. it's it's also just become kind of yeah. harder yeah yeah to use like people don't you don't see people's tweets anymore no, I need the community's to, kind of fractured. I need to rework the end part um, of this and be just like where can people follow but I, I am I am on uh, in, I tend to be on Instagram a yeah, lot more that's lately. a good place to follow Mariah Instagram's a great place uh, where you are also me. at Old Films Flicker Old Films 
both of them. My site is thematinee.ca where you can find back episodes of this show. You can also find them on all the usual places, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google, Stitcher Radio, Apple, um, other weird places like Radio Public, CastBox, Podchaser. Uh, If you have a podcast platform of choice that you like using and my show isn't there, let me know. I'll put it there. It's real simple. Feedback on any of the Oscar nominees who you think is deserving, who things that you think Mariah and I got wrong, sure, bring it. Um, you can leave it in the comment section of the site. You can email me, ryan at the matinee.ca. Um, I'm still on Twitter and uh, also um, Instagram, matinee underscore CA. And there's always Facebook, facebook.com slash dark matinee. Mariah, any final thoughts for another year? Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess it's the same thoughts I always have, which is like seek out films directed by women. You wouldn't know it from this this group of films that have been nominated, but 2022 was a great year for films directed by by women, whether they were about women or they were directed by women and about men. There was a lot of great films, and on this like top eight, it's like women talking and Causeway. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all you got, pretty much, and it's kind of depressing because it was a great year, and every year is a great year. I've already seen there's tons, so many, there's so many, just uh, so many. There's there. just great films. Yeah. They're there. They exist good stuff. There we go. For Mariah, yeah. I am Ryan. We will see you at the matinee.